Let's just go ahead and play that video and we'll just get started today. What do you mean you can't speak? You put that down and talk to me, Zachariah. You went to the temple to burn incense and now you can't speak. Because you doubted. <laughs> what does that even mean? You doubted what an angel told you. Oh, now it's all making sense. <laughs> Are you feeling all right? Huh? Maybe you should sit down. Oh, I should sit down. Listen, whatever game you're playing, I really wanted to stop, Zachariah. It isn't funny. This isn't funny, Zachariah. An angel told you this. The angel said that our prayers have been heard. That you, my love, will bear a son. we will be filled with joy and gladness and that many will rejoice at his birth. <laughs> he will be like Elijah. He will prepare our people for the Lord. too old to be a mother. And you, you can't even speak. Oh, you can't even speak until he's bored. <laughs> oh, that might not be the worst thing. I can't wait to tell my cousin Mary. We will call him Zachariah, yes? All right. So what you guys were seeing there is, uh, is a clip, and we're starting a new series on Advent uh, this week since it's our first Sunday of Advent, and uh, it's called Our Coming Savior. 
And uh, how this is lined out is, is that every week um, we have already had uh, picked out at least where the story is going to come from uh, for the sermon. And um, so you're going to see one of these videos every single week and we're just going to continue to, uh, to dig in as we get closer and closer and closer to Christmas. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited, um, but today we're going to talk about, just like this was shown, we're going to talk about uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, if you guys want to go ahead and turn there around verse 5. Um, but honestly, I'm, I'm probably more excited for some reason this year uh, about the Christmas season than, uh, than ever before. And I'm, and I'm not sure what, uh, what God is transpiring here, but I, I just am sensing something that I don't, uh, I don't quite know yet. But I know that something is, something is happening. And, um, but I think a lot of times we uh, have more disagreements about when uh, Christmas season actually starts. Um, versus, uh, you know, the Christmas season. And some people, uh, like my beautiful wife Taylor, uh, like to put up their Christmas tree uh, November 1st or so, you know, and uh, that may be a slight exaggeration, but no, but we're, we were talking and she uh, really wanted to put up her Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. And to me, Christmas tree can't go up until the day after Thanksgiving. You got to be thankful before you can uh, start celebrating Christmas, right? But uh, I told her if I, if I ever came in the house and the tree was up, that I was going to cut it down. <laughs> if it was before Christmas, I was going to cut it down. Or before Thanksgiving, I was going to cut it down. And uh, so one day I come home from school. All right, I have a night class on Monday nights. And I came home at like 10. And I came home and I walk in the door and sure enough, there's that Christmas tree standing there just <laughs> gleaming a week before Thanksgiving. And uh, so I just, I opened the door and I turned around and I walked right back to my truck and I went in there and I grabbed my hatchet and I walked into the living room and I started looking at the tree and uh, I realized it was a metal tree and I had a, <laughs> had a hatchet. I didn't figure I'd get very far. Kent says that it's, he's back there getting ready to turn his mic on. He's saying it's because I lost that I gave in. Um, but, he lost you know, his first fight. <laughs> what are you going to do? At least it was for a good, a good cause. We're celebrating Christmas, right? And, and I'm excited, um, so I guess I'll make an exception this year. Next year I'll get a hacksaw so I can make a little bit better progress. Um, but anyways, let's go ahead and dig into the scripture today. Uh, but before, I, I would like to pray, um, if you don't mind. But Father God, we, uh, we come to you this morning, Lord. And, and Lord, we welcome you into this place and Lord, we pray that you would be here, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would begin uh, speaking to us now. And Lord, I pray that, that you would begin starting and stirring something uh, within your body today. Lord, that you would give the answers uh, to the people who are looking for them, Father, and that uh, you would bring hope and that you would bring peace and that you would uh, just bring your Holy Spirit into this place and, and Lord, begin ministering to everyone in here. And Father, I pray that uh, that you would just speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're in Luke 1. Luke 1, 5. And it says, When Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of... We decided that we didn't know how to say that, so you can say it however you want. And, uh, and his wife, Elizabeth. And they were also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, carefully to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, 
and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. When the incense was, was being burned, a crowd stood outside him praying, or outside the sanctuary praying. When Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed by fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have a great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts of the fathers uh, to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And it is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized uh, from his gestures and the silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service at the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace for having no children. And uh, when we began looking into uh, what we were going to, what stories we were going to use for Advent, I, uh, I guess I had never really paid as close attention to this passage of scripture as I should have. Because what I really was trying to figure out, Luke is the only one who records this. So if, if you didn't pick it up, so Elizabeth and Zachariah are going to have a son who is John the Baptist. Okay? But Luke is the only one who records this happening. Uh, the rest of them start with John the Baptist being uh, a grown man, and he's already uh, beginning to minister and all this other stuff. So really trying to figure out why did Luke think that this was so important. And Kent and I began talking about this earlier, and, and uh, we really came to the conclusion that it really sets up and describes all that God was doing. And it doesn't even show all that God was doing, but it shows this picture of what God's doing uh, as he's transpiring and, and getting ready to prepare the way for his son to come and pay the ultimate price for us. And he begins uh, by doing a number of different things, but we always get caught up in the, in the, in the big picture. Like we want to jump to the point, right? We, we want to know the, the hard evidence, but if you really look at what's building up to this and to the coming of the greatest gift that we've ever received, it's, uh, it's beautiful the way that it paints together. And so that's where we're gonna, what we're going to be looking at today. But uh, one thing that I, I didn't realize what happened is, is, you know, we've 
Kent's finally, uh, Kent's back, and he's going to be start back preaching next week. And so we've, uh, we've had a whole month together. Uh, I'm not going to say in freedom uh, from Kent, but I'm going to say that we, uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun uh, with you guys and really um, got to connect with a lot of you that I may not have gotten to uh, in other ways and just doing different stuff. And, and I just wanted to tell you guys how much I appreciated and how much I enjoyed uh, our time together this month. Um, and we've been talking about a lot of really important things, I feel like. And this, uh, this message is not only kind of a, a recap of everything that we've talked about this month, even from Joel to uh, the very first week, you know, but it's also a, a setting of a picture of what's getting ready to take place uh, as we build in the Advent season. And so I'm pretty, pretty pumped about this, but I think... Um, my style has more been uh, the last you know, few years of, of finding where it is that we connect with these people in Scripture. We read these stories, but we figure out where, it, where is it that I fit in? How is this relevant to me? And so we're going to take a look at that today, um, along with other things. So I think the first uh, important thing we need to look at first is who is Zechariah? Now, Zechariah was a priest, okay? And I want you to understand some significant things in the story that you may not even realize by reading this, okay? So he is a priest, right? And it says that he was on his weekly duty. He was going to go in and burn the incense at the altar. But what you don't understand is how many priests there were at this time. It says that he's an old man. And this very well could have been the first time that he was able to actually go into the sanctuary to burn the incense at the altar to perform this, this task. It was very, very rare. And if you think about uh, the, the bloodline of these two, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they come from very prominent uh, bloodlines. Good people, right? So ordinarily, I'm not going to say that they would be necessarily a prodigy, um, but they would be a, a very well-respected family. But see, what you don't also maybe understand is that in the Jewish culture, having a baby was known uh, to be God's stamp of approval on a family. And so when a family comes together, if they're not able to conceive a baby, that means, or, you know, that means to them that you know, God's blessing isn't on you. And it was actually a very, um, a very common reason for divorce. If you weren't able to have a baby with your wife, you didn't want to be disrespected, right? You didn't want to lose the respect of everyone around you, so you would divorce her and go marry another wife and be able to have a baby with her, and then you get that, that respect. But you see, Zachariah was different, and Elizabeth were different. They didn't do that. They stayed faithful and their commitment that they made before God and before their wife. And uh, so just some interesting things uh, that kind of build into this. And so the odds of Zechariah actually being able to go into the sanctuary that he was at with all of this other stuff going on, with him not maybe even being the most well-respected, even with him. but So you would call this a freak chance, right? An odd probability that he would actually be able to do this and whenever he does, he goes into the sanctuary, right? And what happens? An angel of the Lord appears and gives him what he's been asking for. 
But you see, it says later on in the story that Zachariah and his wife had kind of given up on the idea of being able to have children. And we can kind of see that in the doubt and stuff towards the end of the story where they had kind of uh, given up hope on that. And so if you think about what Zachariah was actually doing in the sanctuary whenever he went in. So let's, say that, let's just say that this was his first time in the sanctuary. Right? He goes in there. He's trying to do everything the right way that he's learned for so many years, performing all of these tasks. And I'm sure that he's praying, praying for his people, praying for the, the Savior that's been prophesied for all these years. And uh, it's interesting what the angel says to him. Even though that he is constantly serving God, he's righteous in God's eyes. He always follows God's laws and commands the best that he can. And he's counted righteous in front of God. Zechariah at this point is serving God. He's thinking about how to do his duty and all this other stuff. And the angel comes to him and says, I heard your prayer. Or the Lord heard uh, you may not have even been there, but a few years ago, I spoke at the sunrise service uh, on Easter Sunday, and we talked about the prophecies, uh, the prophecies that, that Jesus was going to fulfill, or he did fulfill, and uh, the odds of that being able to happen. So, um, so like if we had the odds of one in a million or whatever it would be. But the odds, a guy actually did a study on this and calculated the probability that Jesus would be able to fulfill eight prophecies, just eight. He fulfilled way more than that. But even just to be able in the realm of our minds to do the math, John Bevere said it this way. He goes, to give you a figurative example, if we had a quarter, let's say one out of one, two quarters, you know, one out of two, all this different stuff. So it would actually, if we had a quarter for every probability uh, calculation, we would have to have a place to store all these quarters, right? And the room that it would take to store all these quarters is bigger than our planet, Okay. So all of these quarters would be uh, in a big ball, and I don't have the exact number because I didn't plan on saying this, but it would be in a big uh, ball the size of our planet outside of Earth, right? So the problem would be not only where to store all these quarters, but it would also be how to get there. So literally, so for this to be uh, calculated in our mind, we would have to get on a, uh, a space shuttle and ride all the way into space and go to this planet the size of every that's filled with all of these quarters and a guy be dropped off at this planet and pick up one. And it'd be the one that we're talking about. So you think about how big this is and how God is taking all of these things and mixing them together at, at one point in time in one section of scripture where he's preparing the way for, for the greatest gift that's ever been given to, to mankind. But it, it makes me think of this. Zechariah was a servant of God. He said that he would serve God, or he did serve God. You know, he didn't divorce his wife. He continually did uh, everything to the littlest detail to serve God's purpose. But what did God do? He answered his prayer. Something that he was willing to put to the side in order to serve the Lord. And what's that scripture? Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. When you put the Lord first is whenever you're going to get what you really want. And, and really, 
it kind of comes back to some of the stuff that we've talked about over the last few years. But sometimes if we look back on, uh, on our life, maybe there was something that we were, we were praying for and we wanted really, really bad and we never got. And really we kind of forgot about it. But we look down the, down the road a few years, or if we go down the road a few years and we look back and we say, you know, I'm glad that I never got that. I never really wanted that. That wouldn't have been what was best for me. Even though that's what I wanted the most. And so, God is working all of these things in this passage of scripture, but he's also working all of these things in our life today. Because I tell you what, we may be talking about John the Baptist today, who's prepared the way for Jesus to come, that we would get the greatest gift that we've ever received. But I'm telling you something, is that the greatest gift we've ever received is coming back. And there's a people today that God is transpiring all of these things together yet again for his son to come back again and to bring us home. And it's all still transpiring, all in the same amount of detail. He, he's doing these things. But you see, Zechariah was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. And whenever Zechariah's prayer lined up with what God's will was and what God was going to do, there was a miracle that happened. And really, if you, if you want to write something down today, we're going to have three things that we're going to go through. But if you wanted to write something down, it would be, when you put God first, not only will his will be done, but your need will be met. Because you see, he knows your heart better than you do. We think that we know what we want, but in five years, everything we want changes. And I'm telling you that whenever you put God first, whenever you seek first his kingdom, he's the one thing that's constant. We're the one that change. So when we're seeking the eternal, whenever we're walking on that straight and narrow path, we got to be listening and we got to be seeking the Lord because you can't walk a narrow path without knowing where you're going. But what is it? Wide is the gate that leads to hell, right? Narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. You got to be listening to the Father to get to where we're going. Let's look at, uh, let's look at Luke 11. Or, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I meant Luke one eleven. I hear all the pages turn. I'm like, man, they're turning a lot. That's my bad. Luke one eleven, verse 11. When Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Why is that important? Because if you don't put yourself in the presence of God, you're not putting yourself in a place to hear from him. Zechariah was right where he needed to be to hear from the Lord. And the second thing that you, if you're going to write something down, it would be this. When you put yourself in the presence of God, the supernatural happens. And I'm not even just talking about healings and miracles and all that stuff. Do you know how supernaturally profound it is for you to be able to communicate with God? The greatest gift that we were ever given is the one that made us right with God again. 
that we could have a relationship with him again. So just the, the idea that we can come in here and, and lay everything down that we have done in the past, every problem that we've had, everything that we've done wrong, and we can walk to this altar and say, God, I want to know you more. Just being able to do that is so special. And it'll make you really appreciate what we're celebrating here today, what we're building into here today. Because I'm telling you, whenever you put yourself in the presence of God, that's whenever big things are going to happen. And, uh, and really, I, I'm going to say this in love, and I really, and I really mean this. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about this for a minute, and I really mean this in love. I really do. But where are my guys at? Where are my guys at? There's one. We got one. Okay, there's two. Okay, good. We got a few. This especially applies to you. Because a guy who's in the presence of God is going to be different, way different. He's going to act different. He's going to walk different. He's going to talk different. He's going to move different than a guy who's not in the presence of God. And see, we have a problem in the United States today. We have a problem that we have a fatherless society. And see, it's not just absent of our heavenly father, but it's also absent of a father figure in the home. And you see, the places that we go to, like Kansas City, Missouri, these kids are hurting and they're broken and they're struggling, trying to find their path, trying to find what satisfies them in drugs and whatever it is, because there was never a father in the home to give them direction. And the kids that we see that are broken, if you look at uh, maybe some of the highest criminals, and you see it because they never had a father to show them how to behave. They never showed, had a father to show them how to act or how to love or how, uh, how to be there for your family or how to do any of these things. But we're in a, in a society that's fatherly absent. And the reason, there's a good reason why being in the presence of God changes this. And the most important thing that you could understand is that God didn't appoint us as men, as the head of the household, uh, to be the financial leader of our family. He put us head of the household to be the spiritual leader in our family. You see, pride says that I have to make more money than my wife. Pride says that I have to provide everything for my family. Pride says that I have to do, 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 do. But you see, it's, it's faith and it's uh, right standing and it's righteousness and it's wisdom that says, I need to make sure that my family knows the Lord more than anything else. Because you see, we have our perspective wrong. We think that we have to, have to go and have to do and have to do all these things whenever all your wife is looking for you to do is to lead her. That's it. Wants you to lead her into the Lord. And so does your family. Your family is looking to the father figure to say, I need my guidance. And that's, and that's where the, the kids in Kansas City and all, all that kind of stuff, they're missing that. They're missing a father to say, this is right. This is how we worship the Lord. This is how we pray together. This is how we stay together. This is how we, we move and we move and we go. And, but it's humility that says, I want to lead my home to the Lord more than I want to uh, provide everything for them. And if you want proof that a man in the presence of God 
is like this. Zachariah is a great example. Because women at that time were not allowed in the sanctuary of God. But Zechariah, through special circumstances, was able to stand in the throne room of God and be exactly where he needed to be for his family. And we have a much freer society here today. We have a much freer atmosphere in here today. Women, of course, are allowed at the altar and, and to speak and to sing so beautifully and all this different stuff. But see, that wasn't allowed at the time. But see, what is missing is that a man standing up and saying, hey, this is going wrong in our life and we need to bring this at the altar and pray in humility before God. But the proof that I want to show you that uh, the presence of God changes things, what does, a, uh, what does a woman do who just starts meeting a guy? How often is it that a woman will bring her boyfriend or whatever to church right after they start dating. How often is that? Pretty frequent. And what do they do? They bring him in here, and they sit him down in the chair, and they just watch. And they're waiting for something to happen. And it's maybe not because uh, the guy is flawed inside, but you see, whenever a man is in the presence of God, it, it changes the way that he works, and it changes the way that he operates. Think about this. Uh, let's go back to Adam and Eve. When Adam was created, he's working and walking in the presence of God. And whenever he is with God, like Joel was talking about, has dominion over everything because he's in God's presence, what does God say? It's better for this man, or this man is not meant to be alone. It's better that he has someone with him. But you see, the serpent who deceived Eve went to Eve first. Why? Probably wouldn't have worked if he went to Adam. He went to Eve, and he deceived her, and allowed the woman to deceive the man. And as soon as that sin happened, what happened? Adam was out of the presence of God. And as soon as he got out of the presence of God is when he lost the dominion that Joel was talking about the other week. But see, whenever we get out of the presence of God, we're out of step. And as soon as he was kicked out of, uh, out of the Garden of Eden, what happened? This whole uh, Jesus coming was because of this one action that happened. And see, whenever Jesus paid the ultimate price for us on the cross, it, it allowed us to have that relationship with him again, and it allowed us to take back control and us to take dominion over our life. That the same stuff that held us down doesn't hold us down anymore. But you see, whenever we get out of God's presence and we aren't seeking after him first, that's when everything else gets out of step. we got to understand and guys and girls alike being in the presence of God is going to change the way that you work but I promise you you're not going to be an effective mother you're not going to be an effective father you're not going to be uh, an effective husband or anything like that if you're not aligning yourself continually with the word because we as humans are flawed and if we're not after the one thing that's perfect the one thing that's constant that's what's going to cause us to waver
Because see, Scripture's like uh, the same power that rose Christ from the grave is the same power that lives in us. Scripture's like Jesus said that we will do greater things in his name because we're going to, because he went to go be with the Father. Scripture's like by his stripes we are healed. Those happen in God's presence, not away from his power. And see, if you aren't seeking to know the Lord, unwavering no matter what the circumstances, you're not going to find that power. You're going to lose your power. But see, in the, look at verse 18. And here lies the other problem. So Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am old. So here you, you, see, his first, uh, you see his first doubt. And uh, Zechariah is in the presence of God. And just like us, sometimes we get into God's presence and we start digging in and we start doubting whenever God speaks something to us. And we talked about this some last week. That God is still good, even when it doesn't look good, it doesn't smell good, it doesn't taste good, it doesn't look like the promise that God has spoken to us. It's still good. But here lies the problem. Even whenever we do get into the presence of God, once we uh, start walking in his ways, we experience a small hiccup, and then we start doubting uh, the thing that was that God spoke to us. And it's easy for us to say, uh, for Zechariah, that, you know, well, I would never doubt what the Lord told me if an angel appeared to me, Right? I mean, we've thought that before. You know, if if we were standing like Moses did uh, and, and the seas departed right in front of us, I would never waver in faith. But you see, God is still doing and still transpiring the same things in our life today, and we're completely missing them sometimes. And I guarantee you, Moses... I mean, let's just say that we had a dialogue with Moses whenever we get into heaven one day. We could say, well, Moses, how did, you, how did you doubt whenever the seas departed in front of you? And he will say, well, how did you not walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? We were given the advocate, the teacher, the one to walk with us and the one to give us the power and authority back to the dominion that has been transpiring that they would have been praying for. They've been praying for that Savior the whole time. They were trying to get back in right standing with God. And you see in verse 25, Elizabeth says that God took away her disgrace. In other words, he proved himself gracious and he proved himself faithful. And you see, even though that they weren't able to have kids up until that point, even though they were looked down upon, it didn't mean that God wasn't so good and God wasn't going to still use them. And at the same time, whenever uh, God is transpiring this, anyone know a virgin named Mary who became pregnant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And they're related. Do you see what I'm getting at? At the same time, all of this is working together. 
And through it all, God still proves himself faithful, and he still proves himself gracious, and he still proves himself to be a good father, and is still using all of these things at one time, and he's meeting the need of every person around him or that is involved in this story here. He, what, works all things together for the good of those who love him. But sometimes we see that God's faithful, but we lack to see the bigger picture. Do you think that they saw the whole picture of what's going on here whenever it was happening? But it all started little by little by little that led into the greatest story that's ever been told. Down to the littlest detail. And not only did, uh, did, they, did Elizabeth and Zachariah get a son, but they got John the Baptist as their son. If you don't know who John the Baptist is, he's the one who stood in the wilderness Screaming and yelling and proclaiming, making straight the highway, the path for the Lord to come, preparing people's hearts and getting them ready to receive the greatest gift they could ever be given. What an honor. We think, you know, what an honor that would have been. And they're also getting to see the prophecies be fulfilled that their people have been praying about for a long time. All of this is working together and at the same time, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Mary also became pregnant with the one and only Jesus Christ. But you see, the things that are happening here was all because Zachariah and Elizabeth were willing and able to be used by God. Even whenever they weren't the most respected, even whenever everything wasn't going the way that they wanted, they were still the one who stood and did exactly as God said and stood in right standing with him. And you see, if you want to write down the third thing today, it would be this. You don't have to be special to be used. Because you see, we, we, we make special out to be, well, to stand up here and speak, you know, you have to be some kind of doctor or to uh, to do all these different things. You know, you have to be the most qualified and you have to be all these different things. Tell me this. The man after God's own heart. We think of David, right? God said it himself. He's a man after my own heart. Where did we find him? The first passage of scripture about David, we find him, uh, we find him in the field tending to sheep. If we think about Moses, where was Moses. Rejected from the kingdom. Actually, the first place we found him was floating down a river. Right? Where do we find Peter? We find Peter fishing. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with fishing until the Lord comes. I'm, I'm all about that. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that God is using ordinary people to do things that are extraordinary. And Mary is a servant, Right? She was just a servant of God. That's all she was. She wasn't some, what we would consider to be a high and mighty, 
you know, person of God. You know, we're not talking about Billy Grahams. We're not talking about uh, people like that. We're talking about everyday, ordinary people who are just willing to serve God without any kind of recognition. We're talking about people that may not have even been known about or even obviously not even considered in the Bible had these things not happened to them. But see, those are the people that God's looking for to do his will and to serve his purpose. Because we find Zachariah and Elizabeth just serving God is all that they were doing. But we have a big misconception that you have to be something something big and something special to be used by God. Whenever he's wanting to use everyday farmers, he's wanting to use everyday people who like to fish, the people that you can hardly even find unless you drive 30 miles that way out in the boondock somewhere and find somebody who's just willing to serve God. Somebody who may not even be written about, someone who may not even been talked about, but just an everyday person. And you see, Jesus actually tells us what it is uh, that we have to do or what we must do to be his disciple, right? He tells it to us in his word. It's not like it's some kind of hidden, uh, hidden thing. He doesn't say that you have to go get a doctorate in, uh, in the New Testament or you know, anything like that. But what he says is in, in Matthew 16, 24, what's he say? He says, uh, what's that? Oh, no, I got it here. Uh, I know what it says. It says that anyone who wants to be my disciple must give up himself and come follow him. Deny himself, take up his cross, and go follow him. That's his requirement. It's not for you to be something special, something big, something flashy, something whatever. But it's for you to say, God, I want to know you more. And that's how we started this month. If every person in this room would just say, God, I want to know you more, it would change the way that things work in this world. And you say, how, how can that be true? I really believe that if everyone in this room just said, God, I want to know you more, it would change the way that this world looks. And you say, Landon, that's a little far-fetched. How many disciples did Jesus have? He had 12. One uh, killed himself, so he had 11, right? He had 11. And here we are in Oakton, Missouri, a population of 36, talking about the gospel. And I'm telling you that if you understand what I'm telling you right now, this is going to be heard differently in Albania. It's going to be heard louder in Liberia. It's going to be heard in places of the world that we've never been. Because you see, God is still transpiring things, making way for his son to return. And he has given something to each one of you, something different, something that each one of us uh, has a different ability to do to minister in some way, and I can't even tell you what it is. But what I can tell you is that God's working all things for the, for the good of those who love him. And if you're not looking to him, looking to find him, looking to understand what that thing is, and walking out in it, you're missing the boat.
But see, just like Elizabeth and Zachariah, no matter what the circumstance is, we serve the Lord and we put ourselves in position and at the right time, the Lord will use us. You don't have to be something big and flashy. But if the praise team wants to go ahead and come,